Gee of Galair August Falteroif. Is Mission Tullivan Scott, Las Ukteran and Coninus August Exulat, Nahulskola Shaw. Oxus Kush Ahas Edom, Falter Korov, Guji, Nahulskol Naher and Galiv, Erin Lost Bashil to Shaw. My name is Anne Scott. I'm the uh, Vice President for Equality and Diversity here at the University. And on behalf of the President and the University Management Team, I'm delighted to welcome you all here today, both our colleagues internal to NUI Galway and also our external guests. We're absolutely delighted to welcome our panellists here this afternoon to share their views on equality in the workplace. I'm particularly delighted to welcome a person whom we will all be familiar with from TV and various other forms of media, Sonia Lennon uh, from Dress for Success Dublin. Sonia is a stylist, broadcaster, author, designer, and has 30 years, she tells me, in the fashion business. Um, she also founded Dress for Success Dublin a number of years ago, and this is an organisation which NUI Galway this year are really proud to have developed uh, a partnership with. Mm. Um, I guess Dress for Success is focused on uh, helping uh, women achieve uh, economic independence through re-entry into the workforce in particular, and the charity works to provide tips on interviews, help with CVs, general HR advice, but also style advice in preparation for interview. Um, so we thought it would be a really nice opportunity to move Dublin to the west and to give a bit of outreach from our campus and indeed our own networks. So after our panel discussion today, uh, Jo uh, Walsh and her team are also running um, a student careers event, which has been hosted uh, by Sonia for our final year students at 4pm this evening. And then in May, we will also have a community outreach uh, where Dress for Success will work with 15 women identified by Imelda Burns' team. Um, and they will spend a whole day working with them around preparing for uh, re-entry into the workplace. So we're really looking forward to that. And we're very, very grateful um, for Dress for Success agreement to work with us. And in addition to having Sonia today on the panel, uh, we also have uh, Angela Smith, the CEO here today, and also um, Lisa Vaughan, the chair of the board. So I think we'll give them a, a round of applause. <laughs> One of our advertised panellists, Mark but Butler from Merritt, unfortunately couldn't make it today, but he is very ably replaced by Sonia Mara, Senior Director HR Europe for Merritt. And uh, Grania brings with her a really fantastic experience of the corporate world, the international world, and experiences around equality and diversity and how that's shifted over the time uh, within uh, companies such as Merit Medical. So again, we're delighted that um, Grania has agreed to join us and at very short notice indeed. So thank you very much, Grania. And then our final panellist is Dr. Michelle Miller, who those of us in NUI Galway know really well, uh, former head of school, but actually now our incoming uh, Dean of Students. So Michelle is a, 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 in the School of um, political science and sociology, and she's also senior research uh, fellow with the UNESCO Centre for uh, Child and, and Family here in NUI Galway. She's held many research grants, and her area of interest is largely workforce um, 
uh, labour market activation uh, loan parenting and inclusion and parenting in the in the workforce so again i think a very interesting series of of um experiences and expertise to, to bring to bear on the panel this afternoon. So I think we're looking forward to a really, really interesting discussion, a discussion which we hope you also will engage in. Uh, use this opportunity uh, to make sure you ask any, any burning questions or indeed just any comments that you'd like to hear from our panellists. Now, uh, to set the ball rolling, I will also introduce our facilitator for this afternoon, a face a name, a profile of which most of us in the West need absolutely no introduction to, uh, Mr. Dave O'Connell, the editor of the Connacht Tribune. So Dave, without further ado, I'll hand over to yourself. Thanks, Anne. I thought when you were introducing somebody that was 30 years in the fashion business, that was my uh, introduction <laughs> at that stage. Uh, but. Still, uh, dress for success, they say. I didn't get the memo, Sonia, I'm sorry. This is the best, that, the best that I can do. Can I invite our panel to the stage, if you don't mind? Can I, uh, I think Anne has already introduced them to you, so um, you might give them a round of applause. That'll make it much easier as we're moving through. And on the basis, there's only about four of us here that are male. I'm going to stay standing here because this is closest to the window if I have to get out, <laughs> if I have to get out in a hurry. Um, I want you to hear a little bit from each of the speakers first. So uh, maybe, Michelle, uh, I could start with yourself because a lot of your work, uh, as we know, is in relation to uh, the uh, low pay, gender pay. Will you set out, uh, paint a picture for us as to kind of, I suppose, the big question, how far have we come? And maybe at the other end, we'll get to how far we have to go. But how far have we come? Um, I suppose it's something I, I reflected on in terms of thinking about women and, and women in Ireland. And as someone who was born the year that Ireland joined the EUC, <clears throat> which probably has done the most for, Ireland, for women in terms of um, equality, uh, we have come far, but we have come very, very slowly we have gotten there. Um, that's 46 years ago for anybody who needs to count that. Um, you know, that when we look at it, that's still in organisations like the civil service that we have 70% women in employment, but only 14% at the top. Um, we have that. But also we can see with the census figures, for example, increasingly when we look at this from a family point of view, that there are more and more couples now where the female in the house has a higher level of education and a higher income, and also that there are more uh, an increase in couples where both have the same level of income and education. Um, so we are definitely seeing massive differences in terms of women and women's participation in education and in the higher echelons in the workforce. But as a great feminist from UL, Pat O'Connor, says that is in spite of what um, the state has done in terms of helping women in relation to childcare and family-friendly work environments. So we have come, yes, a long way, but we have a far way to go also. I, I mean, I think it's, it's when you mention the civil service, I'm slightly older than that. And I come from a generation where our parents, our mothers, Yes, had to give up the civil service yes. uh, when they got married. So it's not to slap ourselves on the back, but progress there has been, and maybe at the other end we'll get to uh, where we need to get on this. But Grania, the, the med tech, tech sector, nobody needs any uh, explanation as to how important that is to Galway, but it's not the civil service, it's a relatively new operation. First of all, with Merit Medical, how many employees have you got in Galway? 950. And the breakdown male-female? So we have 51% male, 49% female. Um, we have an average age of about 38, 
and we have anything between 25 and 30 nationalities on site at any one time. And the leadership team actually is 50% male and 50% female. That can't be accidental. Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, I know if my uh, leader was here, he'd say that's not planned because in merit, we deal with diversity more so on an unconscious base, mm. right? We don't, you, you get the job for the competency of the role. So if you fit the competency and if you can do the job, you get the job, right? It has worked out, thankfully for us, that it is equal. Now we do offer a lot of various shifts. We offer lots of opportunities for people to work evenings, days, that suits lots of diverse around the, um, you know, around the capital. But ideally speaking, it isn't planned. We don't talk about it. Succession, progression is based on, are you competent to do the role? So we, you don't get your role because of your gender, because of your nationality, any of that sort of thing. It's very much on an equal, diverse base. Is, and, and as obviously as it should be, is that something that is replicated in the med tech sector generally as far as you would know? I mean, obviously you're only concerned primarily about your own company, but is, is that something that's reflective of the sector generally? Well, I would say within HR and having been in international companies for 20 years, this has definitely evolved over time, right? I don't think in industry diversity is so much an issue. It is a inclusion is our challenge. We now have 25 to 30 nationalities, so how are we going to get them involved, etc.? So people, it's a war for talent out there at the moment. Mm. We are looking for everybody, anybody, putting in, uh, by the way, uh, <laughs> everybody is growing. We're What's the email competing. address? <laughs> everybody is growing, um, and we're all competing for the same talent. So we need to think completely differently. But that's in a sector that is an expansion, and we know particularly how valuable that is for Galway. There are other sectors, God help us, in the newspaper business, uh, that is contracting at a rate of knots. Now, yes. I, don't, I don't mean newspapers in particular, but there are other industries that are not expanding at that rate. Yes. Is that a greater challenge? Now, Dave, we can upskill you if you want to come and join us, right? We can put any I've got 10 years of employment left before <laughs> pension. Do you think you could manage anything in 10 years? So I think in other, I mean, in a previous industry, it was very heavy on a mechanical base. And no matter what we did, we could not move the diversity from 75% male to 25% female. We did a trial on it, trying to get more women in on the machines, but they just didn't like it. They just right. didn't like it. So it, it does depend on the industry, right? In the med tech, it's very, um, you know, precision is very important, so it, absolutely it attracts a lot of females. So mm. it's, not, it's not a problem in that, you know, but it definitely does depend on the industry. And we might come to some of the industries that are not so good at this. Michelle, I, I had a, a male boss once who said he wanted to talk to the staff uh, and address us in a meaningful way, and what he did was he gave us all a bonus, because he said the only thing that means anything to us was money. He wasn't wrong about that. How much of the gender equality discussion is about wages, about money? I mean, it's interesting because we talk about the gender pay gap and really that's a crude indicator of what's going on within the organisations. Um, and it's, it's not straightforward. I mean, for example, in, in the public sector, um, a junior lecturer is paid the same amount of money regardless of whether they're a man yeah. or a woman. It's on the basis of their, their year service might make a difference. So it's, it's, it's about... It's about what's going on underneath in terms of um, promotion opportunities as well as putting oneself forward for promotion. Also, I mean, we know that women are, you know, in a partnership situation, the ones that will be most likely the one to take parental leave. 
um, maternity leave, but also linked to it in terms of, I mean, what Sonia is saying resonates so much in terms of women within their careers and the importance of mentoring and coaching. And I mean, it really struck me when I was involved in the Aurora Leadership Programme, how they said a big difference between a man and a woman would be if there are 12 um, things that an employer wants in a, in a job description. If a woman hasn't got two of those, she'll say, well, I can't go for that job. But if a man can tick eight of the boxes, he'll say, well, sure, I'll, I'll put my hat in and I'll, I'll do it. And I think, so, Therein lies the importance of mentoring and Is coaching. that a historical thing or a generational thing, or where does that misplaced confidence come from? Well, I, I, don't, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's cultural. I think there's a long legacy of it from a cultural point of view, in Ireland in particular. Um, but not just, I mean, it would be shown to be in, in other countries as well, you mm. know, particularly within, within the university sector, for example. But we would see it, and, and I would see it in the mentoring that I do with, with younger academics here, in that in terms of not putting themselves forward, but also how we present ourselves, um, how we, we can be apologist almost for what we've done instead of you know, naming it and saying, yes, this is what I can do, this is what I have done. So there's a real important piece about that. But to go back to that, Dave, you know, if we go back to 1973 being 46 years ago, like m for many of us here in this room, we wouldn't have had female role models. Mm. Um, the, the female role models many of us had were nuns in school. Um, and then when we got to third level or we got into employment. So, I mean, I think it's great. And I think, you know, here even within the university for our younger female students that increasingly there are more female role models, you know, that women can aspire to those positions. And that, that's important because that's about an organisation, you know, embodying inclusion and diversity and it becoming the normal. Yeah, and I do want to come back a little bit to the, to the, the college and the student body on that. But, Gronje, one of the things that uh, strikes me is that when you start out, uh, everybody is equal. The pay is equal. You can't do it. You can't discriminate, in, you know, for the same person doing the same job, or you shouldn't. It is as you move up that ladder, or maybe funnel is a better uh, description for it, that the problems arise, isn't it? And, and this is where we need the greater level of change. Well, I would say, I mean, there's much more jobs at the lower end. So, mm. you know, no matter what you do, once you start to progress, it becomes more competitive. It's not an excuse, though, to have a different pay, to have pay gaps. Mm. So, again, if you have certain roles and there is a pay to go with that role, no matter if you're a man or a woman, certainly in industry, it's equal treatment. So, you know, it's all about how you approach things. It's about the mindset. But I, what I would say is, you know, as people start to encourage or move up, it is about putting in some support networks there to encourage the women to continue to, to take promotions. And that, Sonia, is, I, I suppose, the key. To when, I, when I was saying earlier on that equality is about pay, uh, I suppose if I was answering my own question, I'd say that that's part of the equation, but not all of it. And Michelle mentioned, you know, the reality is that when a couple have a child. In the first instance, at least, no matter how you are equal and divide this out, it is the mother that's going to take time out of the workplace. Yep. That's an insurmountable yep. problem, biologically. 
no. That's so, a whole so just, different debate. Just, just, yeah, a, certainly a portion of time. Mm. Um, but how we choose to carve that up is mm. within our, our grasp to change. Um, and I think, I, to agree with Michelle, I think um, increasingly I'm uncomfortable with the gender pay gap being the, 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 the issue that we're addressing. The gender pay gap is a symptom of the gender opportunity gap. And that is a symptom of mm. uh, a structure within our workplaces that is really no longer fit for purpose to encourage women towards equality. Um, and, and I think, um, th sorry, what was your question? I got carried no, away. No, it, it, uh, it was in relation to the reality of uh, biology. Of, of, of so, uh, you know, I think I, I, was in, um, I was on holidays last week um, and I met a Danish couple who were there with their small child and they were talking about shared parental leave. And of course, I was like straight on them, you know, saying, so how does that work? And, you know, this is what we're working towards is this idea that we would have shared parental leave. Now, um, the recent bill that was proposed um, in the Oireachtas for that was um, lobby lobbied very heavily against for the reason that if a man was able to take the same time out of the workplace that a woman was, that that would cost a company more because he's paid more than she is. It's like, what? It, it was rejected on that well, basis. There was, there was a lot of lobbying going on that, you know, uh, yes, in theory, that could work. But the point is... Um, that but is that, sorry, but is that somewhat subliminally or, or overtly saying well, that the man is more important in the that, workplace? No. No, it's that at, at a certain point uh, of the, of the um, career progression, which is the point at which you take time out to have children, mm. um, that you know, a, a man is po possibly progressing faster. And it's not mm. just children. It's not just children. It's that men are uh, more likely to ask for a raise more frequently than a woman. Mm -hmm. And this is back to the confidence issue. So yes, it's very easy to kind of lump the whole issue into the, the uh, maternity issue. It's actually much more nuanced than mm. that. And, and the one thing that I'm extremely careful to do, and I've already sort of referred to it, is this idea that this is not a woman's problem to fix. So if, if um, a leadership team, regardless of his make makeup, is serious about uh, embedding equality in the workplace, they need to look at the invisible impediments that are stopping women from progressing at the same rate as men. And they are so multiple and so nuanced and varied that it takes a recognition that men and women don't act the same way. Mm. Um, and, and I think to this point, um, uh, men have been afraid to unpick some of those issues. Um, but I think now is a really good time to start having private sessions around, well, what is stopping you? And, and what can I do to help you? And, and these are the com cultural conversations that can make real change. And, and in your experience, what is stopping? What are, where are the problems? Um, I, I, think, um, I think women do lack the, the bombast of men when it comes to career uh, progression. I think the workplace is structured to facilitate men and not women. Um, I think that men are sometimes afraid to open the doors to equality because they're worried about what will happen at the other side. Um, so I think there's a lot of reasons why this is um, a hot potato and one which has really um, stayed in the dark so long. Um, but we did a, um, a Chatham House Rules breakfast recently with a, a partner company and we had a mixed 50-50 mixed room and we said, okay, no uh, social media attribution. We're going to ask all the tough questions, all the questions that you think are really stupid or on PC or are gonna, you're going to be shot down for. It was phenomenal. 
men are terrified to talk about this mm -hmm. because they don't know what the answer is going to be. Mm -hmm. They're afraid they're going to offend somebody. They're afraid they're going to be sued. They don't know how to open up this conversation. Um, and, and, and the woman herself can't fix it. It needs to be seismic change in how we do business. I'm conscious, Anne said we will open this up to the floor, but rather than leave everything towards the end, if people want to join in a bit earlier, we'll make specific time towards the end. But I, I don't want to hog this, so if people do want to make a contribution, please feel free to raise your hand and we'll get a microphone to you. What I would ask you is if you, um, if you could tell us your name and if you have a particular um, point of view that would help in terms of the panel on this. But um, I, I think, Gron, you... Where the follow-on in part from this is the kind of things that, again, in my experience, the medtech sector embraces, and that is the, the part-time, the flexi-time, the change of hours, because you have around-the-clock facility anyway, it makes it easier to do that. Do, do people work from home, or does everybody have to come to the workplace to work? What kind of initiatives would you point at as being particularly successful in... as, as Sonia says, not just in accommodating women, but in accommodating people that want to spend time away from the workplace. Yes, and, and it isn't just accommodating women. Mm. It's accommodating men and women. Mm. Because if you accommodate the men, they accommodate the women. So, you know, you need to, you need to look at both sides. Mm. Um, I would say that this is evolving all the time. I would say it was flexibility. It was work from home for a while. But flex I, I find men are asking for more flexibility. So the hours they, you know, that they can get in and out to the gym or they can get to various events or whatever. I find some of the women like to have the work from home option. So it actually depends on what, what they like. I also think depending on the age group, they have different. So you might want to start at a certain time, but a certain age group would like to make the gym in the morning, so they don't want to start later. Mm -hmm. So it really is, you need to have a very broad mind about this, and also it is evolving. So, you can't, so just because you put in a policy doesn't mean this is the policy that's going to work for the rest of our lives. You need to constantly go back, check, have we got it right, so we have flexibility, work from home. Obviously, we have um, a production site, so mm. the production site cannot have that. Yeah. So you have to acknowledge that as well. Um, but then you have flexible shifts. So it was a five-day, they all wanted a four-day, that worked for the business, great, they love their four-day. So, you know, they're all uh, getting ready for the weekend on the Thursday evening, and even that is a huge boost. So through the requests of the employees, trying to, um, uh, you know, and, and definitely having an open dialogue on this, definitely. With a, with a company of 950 employees, can this drill down to a, a situation where individual uh, relationships can be established, individual deals can be done, or does it have to have a greater number involved in that? You know what I mean? If somebody said, look, I can work school hours, or I can, uh, uh, my partner works Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, can I do Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Can it work on an individual basis, or does there have to be a greater number involved in it than that? Oh, no. It can work on an individual basis, as long as you're offering the same territory. Yeah. So as long as you're offering equal opportunity on that side. I'm still inviting questions. I have loads left, but I just don't want to uh, do, do all of them myself. But uh, Michelle, it, it, I, in, in thinking about this, I would suggest perhaps that uh, it's easy to legislate above the water on this. It's the difficulty is what is below the water. And what I mean is that nobody can consciously set out or should consciously set out to discriminate in whatever way in terms of pay conditions, work-life balance, but that we still have a distance to travel to get it right in reality. Is that, is that the case? Yes, I mean, I would, I would argue that we would, and I suppose 
in terms of my research and what I would look at is in, is in relation to low-paid women um, or women who are returning to employment. And again, just even to think about one of the small pieces of work that Dress for Success do, I mean, there are so many barriers for returning to employment, but actually having the money to go out and have a dress or a suit to go to interview. I think of it when my own daughter got a job in a local restaurant and I had to spend 80 euros and pennies for black pants and black shirts. You know, if you've been long-term unemployed, mm. the, you know, that, that is a barrier. So I, I think we do. And I mean, I think as well, I suppose, for a lot of women at the start of their careers, um, Childcare, you know, I mean, it's, it's what makes many women leave the workforce in, 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 in the first place um, because it just isn't, you know, worth their while going to work. But again, to reiterate what Sonia is saying, these are family issues. Mm. They're, they're not women issues. They mm. are family issues. Mm. But I, yet we have, as I say, we have come a, a long, long way. But it's about opening up the dialogue. And I think, you know, what Sonia is saying is that we are being a little bit more grown up about saying, well, let's have this conversation. Let's, let's see what works. Um, let's see what can be done. But th to look at the, you know, the, the barriers, the obstacles that are there and, and what they are. But I think as well within an organization and just thinking about it um, for this, about how do we promote equality and, and inclusion? And yes, policies and procedures are really, really important because it's very clear and everybody knows this is what's acceptable. But really, that's talking the talk in an organization. Mm. What you really have to have is walking the walk. That, you know, those values are emanated from the top right down to the bottom in terms of how inclusive and how equal an organization is. Um, and, and what, what's okay and what's not okay. And that extends beyond women to disability, to ethnicity, to, um, uh, you know, um, age and, and all of that. So we have, but we're, at least we're having the conversations. You know, yeah. these conversations are taking place. Grania, when you, we were talking briefly beforehand and we were talking about uh, Merit Medical and we talk about, you know, uh, Michelle mentions, you know, the changing culture, changing uh, multicultural society. We're gone from a homogenous country yes. uh, to a, a very much a multicultural one. Yes. Does that present added opportunity or added difficulty? Um, I, I would say both. I would say that uh, we run a merit um, manager essentials course. So I would say that we have learned in the past number of years that uh, teaching people to to work with diverse teams, how to communicate with diverse teams has definitely had it to be had to be added, right? Um, so I think training the leaders to take this topic quite important um, is important. I think from a challenging perspective, if people are just new to Ireland and they're not used to the Irish, it's trying to you know give them a mentor and a body that'll help them settle in the mm. system tailoring some of the training that will make it easier for them. So you, you do need to be very open and to see, okay, if they have, you know, if they've literally just arrived in the country, you do need to provide extra measures to make them feel comfortable. And in order to fulfill the, the requirements, you know, you're constantly expanding and that sector is constantly expanding. Yes. You, you need uh, overseas workers. There aren't enough here to, to fill all those gaps. Yes, and that's been going on for years, though. Mm. That's been going on for about three or four years. We were, we'd have sourced certain um, competencies abroad all the time. Sonia, I mean, and again, I don't want to hold up the medtech sector as the, 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 uh, the shining light, but it is. Uh, and partly, I would think, as I say again, because it's a relatively new industry in an Irish context, but in your work with different companies or even in your, your, your no-holds-barred discussions, 
Are there some sectors or industries that are worse offenders than others? Yeah, there are statistically, given what we know, and we don't know as much as we will know post-mandatory pay disclosure, um, which I'm actually I'm really excited about because um, if we do it properly as a country, we end up with um, a, a landscape of salaries cross-sectorally. We can start discussing money and merit mm. and worth and value and earnings and revenue and all the stuff that women actually have a bit of an issue um, talking about money, much more so than men. So, so that's very exciting. But I suppose the, the, um, the pay gap at the moment rests at 14%. In sectors like financial services, it's up to 30%. Um, obviously, there is huge disparity amongst, say, the construction industry, um, who have been doing a phenomenal amount of work to, to, to build their pipeline of women into the sector, um, which, which is wonderful to watch. So I, I think, you know, the, 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 the key thing is not to call out people and point at them and saying, you're, you're doing this really badly, because a lot of the issues are legacy. Um, uh, you know, the financial services sector was traditionally very male, so in a way they've come quite late to the equality party. Um, it, it's more about, okay, this is your reality, for whatever reason, what are you going to do about it? But is a lot of that to do with, again, promotional prospects? Is that, that heavy weight of wage at the top end of the scale rather than further down? Yes, it is, but that's also a pipeline issue. Yes, so how yeah. do you bring the women up from the bottom up to the top? And the reality is we, women make up 50% of, of our society. So unless women are well represented at every decision-making table, then decisions are made skewed towards men. So it's, it's really, really important for our evolution. Yeah. Michelle, it strikes me that if you're going to see the grassroots of change in any of this, you're going to see it in a university. Mm -hmm because that's where the careers start, that's where the careers are built. Now, again, I don't want to put you on the spot because th there, aren't e there aren't exact figures in this, but just kind of anecdotally, can you see change? Can you see uh, sectors uh, within here that would previously be male-dominated, now not so much so? Can you see women making different choices for themselves that, I mean, I don't want to say it was inconceivable a generation ago, but not far off? Yes, in some instances, I mean, and again, not with statistical perfection or anything like that, but yes, there's been a massive drive in the STEM area and we are slowly seeing an increase. But again, that's going to take time to trickle through. I suppose medicine is one where it's, mm. it, you know, um, there, there's a greater parity, but still traditionally, um, you know, I mean, I, I teach in, in the arts and even teach in nursing students and it's still, you know, a greater proportion mm. of female students there. So there still are our sectors, um, you know, where there's, there's room for improvement. But again, I suppose I would go back to that in terms of role models and younger women and men seeing, um, you know, that their, their possibilities are greater for them in, in all areas. But we're slowly seeing change, yeah. Yeah, Gronje, you, you, you mentioned it earlier on in relation to Merit Medical is, is right up there, down the line the whole way through. Mm. If that didn't happen, uh, if that didn't evolve, do you in any way favour gender quotas? No, I mean, I really don't. I don't think there's any reason for it. I think you need to judge the people on the merit of what they can do, and you need to offer equal opportunities. And if there are certain, you know, 
be it demographics or age group or sectors that require more encouragement to develop their career, know that and get out there and be proactive to help them build that through, mm. which will help. The, so it's succession. to facilitate rather than, I mean, it, it does strike me that sometimes the gender quotas are, it's a fairly ham-fisted way to try and, and rectify your problem. We hear a lot about it in politics uh, in particular. It's, it's going to apply in terms of people on tickets for the next election, um, yeah. but not the approach you'd favour. When, no, but I do think it's, it's, I mean, actually this time last year I was actually going for the interview for this role and I remember uh, the first question I asked, right, what's the demographics of the business? The first question I asked and um, when they told me then the demographics, immediately it told me though the culture. It does give you an impression on the culture, how decisions are made, what is the balance around the table, what is the dialogue. So even though you're not in favour, I would say that a balance is, it's proven, a balance is always better. The, num the more diverse that you have around the table, the better the decisions are. I'm conscious in time and I want to leave some time for that. Can I just ask you, uh, each of you, the same question before we finish off. If there was one single change that you could make, and I'm, uh, I might start, Michelle, with you on this one, one single change that you could make that would enable equality and inclusion or further the development of equality and inclusion in Ireland, what would that be? Mine would be the sharing of the maternity leave. Um, that that would be... You know, and would an, you go down this road that it would be mandatory that it was divided? <sighs> Yes, I think in order to to, to start to, to, but I mean, again, I think from, from many families' point of view that it may very well be in their financial best interest for that to happen. Um, but yes, that would be a very small piece. But, yeah. Okay, Grania, what would you say? Um, I would say that it, in, in businesses, the decision is at the top table here. And I think you need to keep talking about this all the time. And if it's not been spoken about, it'll be forgotten. So I think managers need to be held responsible for the, their statistics. I think it needs to be measured. And I think that it, uh, inclusion is actually becoming a bigger challenge. So we've no problem in you know, attracting people, but we've an awful lot to do with inclusion to make people feel settled. So if I was to say anything, it's more inclusion initiatives across industry. Okay, Sonia, I know you have answered. Well, I have, but, this, but I, as Michelle took um, uh, shared parental leave, I'm going to take childcare mm. um, and, and say that unless we address the issue of childcare in this country, um, I, a friend of mine had to give up work last week. Um, uh, she was in the civil service, and at the end of her week, she had a net profit, which equated to a cup of coffee um, after her commute and her, her working week. So she is now a stay at home mum. Yeah with a deep skill set to offer into the economy and no way to make that happen. So we need to address childcare. So do you mean the, the cost of the childcare? The cost of childcare. Mm -hmm. And is, is that is the easiest way to address the cost of childcare that is paid for by the state? Um, I, I don't think it can be fully paid for by the state, but again, it's very, very hard to have these discussions without looking at the Nordics and seeing how mm. they do it. Um, and yeah. With a much higher rate of income tax. Much higher yeah. rate of income tax, but stuff works. Uh, yeah, and, and you see at the other end, uh, this very establishment, as all universities, are looking for higher fees because they say that the amount that they get at the minute, so it's the knock-on, mm. the schools are looking for Absolutely. more money, the capitation, so it, it's, you start with maternity, mm. you come on to childcare, yeah. it works its way through the system and it ends up here and presumably gets into industry after that. Yeah. Um, can I thank our panel uh, on your behalf? I know that we're uh, not going to uh, go away from this, but uh, before we move on to the next session, can I uh, thank Dr. Michelle Miller, uh, Grania O'Mara and Sonia Lennon, uh, and thank you for your attendance. Sorry, I should say that Anne Scott is coming back, just wants to talk to you for a few moments. Thank you.
Thank you all very much again, and I realise that people are probably getting quite hungry now, and also that they have uh, follow-up uh, commitments. So could I just invite everyone uh, to give our panel, and Dave, who's done a lot of work here today, a uh, final round of applause.